This is Talking Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talking Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. Jody Stemmler. And I'm Steve Belinda, and welcome back to this edition of Talking Mule Deer. Today we've got two fine gentlemen with us, Jody. Well, well we one fine one, gentleman. One and, fine and, and yeah, yeah, the yeah. other one is we'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> the jury's out. But uh, we have Sam Soholt with us, who's the co-owner of Public Land Tees. He's going to talk to us some about some of the uh, cool initiatives he's working on. And we have one of MDF's own uh, senior regional director who lives in senior. North Dakota. Great. Marshall Johnson. Welcome, <laughs> gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Really glad to have you on, Sam. Marshall, you know, we'll see at the end of this podcast whether we're happy to have you back on the podcast. Uh, obvi- obviously, we are because you know you're you're one of our special friends here on the on, on Talking Mule Deer and in the Mule Deer Foundation. But Sam, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, tell us about Public Land Tees and then let's get a little bit of background because I seem to have seen some pictures of a big bus on a prairie with you. Uh, and I want to hear a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, I've been working in the, you know, quote unquote hunting industry for about 10 years now and started as a, um, photographer, videographer is kind of how I got into it all. And really over the last, uh, three and a half, four years have changed focus, uh, quite a bit into the, the conservation space and have tried to um, my brother and I started a company called Public Land Tees, and we just try to continue to come up with kind of new and creative ways to raise a bunch of money and give back to all of the organizations like Mule Deer Foundation um, and, uh, yeah, raise money for habitat projects, access projects, and all of the organizations that are protecting public lands and wild places for all of the rest of us to enjoy every single day. So, um, yeah. That's cool. We really appreciate that. And we'll get to that in a second, but I want to go back to that bus on the prairies. Sure. <laughs> Tell us how yeah. that comes in. Yeah. So the, the public land bus is kind of where my whole conservation journey began for a lack of better, better words, but, uh, took a full size school bus and gutted the whole thing and turned it into my rolling hunting shack. And nice. the, the whole, the whole mission behind the bus was to use it as a rolling billboard to raise awareness about, uh, public land issues, uh, conservation issues and um, basically educate people on how they could get involved in conservation and speak up on behalf of sportsmen and women everywhere uh, to help protect all of these places that at that, you know, in back in 2016, when I first bought the bus, uh, there was a lot of fire around public lands and kind of kind of their future, what their future would hold. So the bus was a way to get as much possible attention surrounding these issues as possible and it was a pretty, uh, pretty great way to travel and hunt and spend time out and kind of document these, uh, these wild places. Nice. And just to clarify, you mean f- not fire on public lands, but fire about <laughs> public yes. lands. Yeah, we not, have not, enough of those. We have enough of the other kind. Right yeah, you don't want either. Right. <laughs> one's that's the good kind, one's the not so yeah, good kind. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, so Sam, um, I, I mean, in your adventures in that, what did you learn who were the interesting people you met? You know, I, I know you documented it. You worked with uh, some other uh, conservation organizations to really get the word out. But, you know, tell us a little bit of the color of 
of your adventures and you know what you're going to remember forever besides the whole concept the bus build you know and everything else Mm -hmm. yeah i think uh i very quickly you know like i built my career on photography and uh, but as soon as i started doing the bus build but really when i started driving the bus and using it i quickly my name was gone. The Sam Soholt, that name was gone. I was just the bus guy. The bus guy. And so <laughs> I think that's probably what I'll remember the most is everywhere I went, uh, any trade show that I went to, any introduction that I had where somebody was like, oh, this is Sam Soholt. He's the guy that built the school bus. And so I became, yeah, the, the bus guy for several years. I, I don't think anybody knew who I actually was. I was just that weirdo that drove around in a school bus. Um, Better than the bus boy, probably. Yeah. Well, and you know, we all, riding buses, you know, going to school in Pennsylvania, we always had interesting nicknames for our bus drivers. So, you know, the bus guy you can live with just as long as you do not think you're the bus because there's only the one bus. (laughs) Jerome Bettis, (laughs) Hall of Famer from the Pittsburgh State. So, So, you know, I think the the cool thing about it was really like early on in that project, uh, you know, there was a lot of people, including myself, that was pretty naive about how the public land system worked, uh, how the public land system was funded, what all of the conservation organizations did, like boots on the ground, where all that funding goes. And I think it was cool to watch the transition um, from basically an entire population of the hunting public not really understand that as much as they should. And and over the last four years, watching that shift in the education of the general hunter, like, and start to understand like where all of those dollars come from, where all of those dollars go, and how much of an impact each of us can have if we're willing to educate ourselves a little bit about issues that are happening. And so we can all speak up on behalf of a bill or against a bill or, you know, share a fundraiser or participate in a fundraiser and, and how all those things work together. So, you know, like, again, like this was a learning process for me. Like I, I grew up hunting and fishing, you know, but never really had, uh, had never really done a deep dive into how all of the finances worked on the back end. And, you know, you always heard like, oh, hunting is conservation or hunters are the greatest conservationists. And, but I mean, I'll what be honest, I never, mean? right, exactly. Like I, you know, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But I had no idea what that really meant. And so, um, yeah, I think the, the coolest thing about the bus project was getting one, like meeting all those people out on the road and like traveling to different states and different events and stuff and talking to hundreds of thousands of people, whether it be in person or online, but just the number of messages that I received and the number of people that came up and be like, oh, I had no idea that this is how this worked or I joined a conservation organization because I saw what you're up to um, and all of these different things. I think that's probably the the coolest thing that came from that whole project. That's awesome. So wouldn't it be great, Jody, Sam, Marshall, if, if, if the campfire conversations at the end of the day included a lot of things that Sam just mentioned? I mean, Jody, you've been at one of our camps. so That's all we talk about, sometimes right. too much. But it, it really is amazing how a lot of people that are conservationists are passionate about it really don't understand the intricate system that it takes to keep things going, particularly for public lands. And, you know, conservation isn't just public lands. It's really, you know, taking care of the land and waters that we live on, regardless of ownership. And it takes a lot of effort to do that and you know we we talk about the Pittman Robertson Act or the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act from 1937 
and the associated acts with it. But that's only one aspect of it. That's a funding aspect. That's a, you know, and Jody's much more uh, knowledgeable about this than I am, but there's so much more. I mean, when I, I, I worked in the federal agencies for 16 years, I never want to see another NEPA document if I don't have to ever again. But the importance of the National Environmental Policy Act and how projects and habitat conservation gets done on public lands is is basically reliant on NEPA. And how many people were taught that in either, you know, high school environmental class or even in college? Well, I was taught it in college, but that's because I took a natural resource policy and law class in college. Yeah, and your dad was a wildlife professor. <laughs> well, but and, you, know, I, I, you know, but I grew up in the East, uh, you know, and you in North Dakota, there's not a lot of public lands and public land management is something that, um, a minimum of half of our country doesn't understand as well as perhaps they should, but for mule deer hunters is particularly relevant um, because at least for a, a large portion of a mule deer's life, they're probably going to be living at some point on federal public lands out here um, or, or state public lands, but they also depend on private lands as well. So, and, and I know in North Dakota, that's something else you guys uh, have been working on a little bit, but we have to take a break uh, in order to listen to some of our Mule Deer Foundation supporters. So I want to get back when we come back, uh, Sam, and talk to you a little bit about Conservation Crossing. And then we also want to bring in Marshall and talk about th- some of the work that you guys, I know Sammy participated in, and how, um, again, that nexus, there's private land work and there's public land work that is really going to benefit mule deer, um, Western wildlife species, and so many other species on our landscape. So going to take a break, come back in a, in a minute and finish this up. If you're buying or selling a trophy hunting or fishing property in the Western U.S., our friends at St. James Sporting Properties should be your go-to resource. St. James Sporting Properties is more than an elite group of professional ranch brokers. They're also passionate about chasing monster mule deer, highly successful big game hunters, and avid outdoorsmen. When you combine their passion and expertise in the outdoors with their industry-leading marketing program, you're guaranteed to have a first-class experience. For more information, go to the Supporting Partners page on MuleDeer.org or give St. James Sporting Properties a call today to buy or sell your dream sporting property. I'm Anthony Imperato, President of Henry Repeating Arms. Patriotic Americans are looking to protect and provide for their families now more than ever. Henry has over 200 rifles and shotguns to choose from, made in America or not made at all, and backed by a lifetime guarantee. Go to HenryUSA.com and order our free catalog, decals, and a list of dealers in your area. That's HenryUSA.com. Thank you, and God bless America. All right. Before the break, we uh, we had heard a little bit about your work and, and, and deep diving into conservation and public lands management issues. Um, I know you had a chance encounter with our own Brian Feedhold, and uh, and that was your kind of first connection with the Mule Deer Foundation. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and then maybe the path to conservation crossing? Yeah. So uh, it was a couple of years ago now, um, had the, the public land bus out at one of the Total Archery Challenge events out in Park City, Utah, and had the bus parked there and we're down on a parking lot and it was about 100 degrees and whatever. But uh, Brian Fienhold happened to stop by the bus and introduce himself as, you know, working for the Mueller Foundation. And we got to talk and I gave him a tour of the bus and kind of the mission behind it, like I just talked about. And 
we, you know, at that time, this is, you know, coming up on, yeah, two years ago now, uh, we just talked about, yeah, we need to stay in touch and figure out ways that we could potentially, you know, collaborate together on, you know, behalf of public land tees or, you know, and, and work together in some capacity, which kind of has, you know, led down a line of, of staying connected and then has led to our uh, public land tees latest initiative, which is the Conservation Crossing Project. And I reached out to Brian to see if Mueller Foundation would happen to want to be one of the organizations involved in this project. And he jumped all over it and got everybody involved. So uh, the way Conservation Crossing works is we created a T-shirt for $125, which I, I understand that sounds Wow, ridiculous. is it made of gold? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it doesn't shrink. 100% merino wool, only from a specific flock of sheep in New Zealand. <laughs> and they pick so the hairs one by one. Yes. Hand fed. Uh, <laughs> so we, yeah, we created this concept, uh, created this T-shirt that's $125, but what you get when you buy the t-shirt is an automatic annual membership to five conservation organizations. So you have Mule Deer Foundation, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Delta Waterfowl, National Wild Turkey Federation, and Pheasants Forever. So anybody that goes to publiclandtees.com buys the Conservation Crossing shirt. We ship you the shirt and a matching decal and a little thank you card showing the organizations that you're now a member of. And then uh, we get all of the information over to each organization so they can use it and put it in their database and get your membership packets out. And uh, yeah, you're automatically a member. And the cool thing was when we started to put this whole project together is all of the organizations involved said, well, what do we do if you know they're already a member and everybody agreed that it'll just renew or extend your current membership. So if you're already a member of the Mule Deer Foundation until the end of 2021, it just adds a year onto your membership without having to do a single thing. So um, yeah, the whole project is kind of a way to one, you know, streamline the process of becoming a member of multiple conservation groups, but two, like really fund and, and help, help individuals help, you know, conservation minded people get involved on a much larger level. And, and this is a limited run, right? Yes, it's, we're doing a limited run of a thousand shirts. And so we've been, uh, yeah, been blowing through them. And where are we at as of today? Yeah. As of this morning, we just cracked 300. So, we're, you know, That's it's great. a big, pretty good chunk of change uh, raised for conservation, but just trying to keep the ball rolling. That's fantastic. And I love the diversity of the groups that you have in there. You have waterfowl, you have turkeys, you have mule deer foundation, obviously. And, and so I think that... I mean, it's a creative idea. It's a super cool t-shirt. So tell us a little bit. I mean, people can't see it, but we we'll, might have a picture up with our, our posts and things like that. But describe the actual tea. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of a play on the old Abbey Road cover from the Beatles. Um, <laughs> but we have a, basically that same crossing scene. And then you've got uh, starts out on the left side. There is a mallard kind of coming into land and then you have a grizzly bear which represents backcountry hunters and anglers their logo has always been the bear paw and then you have right in smack dab in the middle is the mule deer Yay. and then right in front of that is the turkey and then finally the uh pheasant the flushing pheasant on the other now one. are we so, stepping on the line not stepping on the line wasn't there some controversy about the whole abbey road thing on that you know, I, you know i don't know i like the beatles <laughs> but you know my I, I wasn't a super fan like a lot of folks, but mm -hmm. yeah, you, the, your next tee, you ought to have land and, and, you know, Denvi and all those yeah, other. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's interesting, as you know, uh, migrations and crossings are a big initiative. One of our top priorities over the last few years at the Mule Deer Foundation. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that migrations don't respect 
administrative boundaries. Um, mm -hmm. And so animals go where they want to go or where they need to go. And so they may be on public lands one at one moment and be on tribal lands the next and be on state lands the next and then be on private lands. So, you know, it, it this initiative and, and this approach that you're taking really can fall in with the approach we need to have for conservation, which, which is cross-jurisdictional. And uh, I, I mean, that's sort of one of where we're going next at the Mule Deer Foundation is we're really looking at these landscape level approaches that cross boundaries. Because a lot of times when an animal crosses a state boundary, because of the workloads, because of the extra efforts, because of a lot of things, sometimes the, that herd or that route may not get the attention it needs because you're dealing with two or, or possibly three states. And so one of the things we're going to try to do is be a catalyst and, and, and be someone that can bring those states together because we are on the outside. We don't have some of those limitations that state or federal agency or tribal folks have. And we can sort of be the uh, folks that bring everyone together and make sure that we take care of it across the boundaries. But it really leads to, Marshall, some of the things you've been working on over the last few years is, is you know, North Dakota's primarily private lands. And it takes a completely different approach to work on private lands than it does on public lands. So, Marshall, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work in North Dakota and other states on private lands and, you know, what the difference is and, and you know, the approach that you use to be successful? Sure, sure. First off, I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance. I've been battling a pretty bad cold up here for the last week, so I may have to throw on mute a few times just to save your guys' ears. But, um, <clears throat> um yeah, North Dakota, we have a, a program up here the Game of Fish uh, manages called PLOTS, which is Private Land Open to Sportsmen. And what they do is they uh, work with private landowners uh, to open up their land 24-7 uh, for all sportsmen, bird watchers, whoever it may be. And the landowners basically paid a, a payment or a lease payment annually uh, based upon what their land encompasses. You know, they... They've got, you know, basically the spreadsheet that, you know, value, you know, has values for everything. You know, do, do they have crop? Do they have uh, hay, alfalfa? Do they have riparian areas? Uh, what kind of browse do they have? And so basically the they develop a certain amount of money per acre and pay that landowner for, for those acres. Um, a lot of times these leases uh, are two to three years, sometimes a little bit longer. Um, Mule Deer Foundation, we, we, we really struggled finding projects here back in, uh, oh, you know, 2007, eight, nine and stuff. It was really tough to find anything. And, and a lot of it's because of the reason of that, the lack of, uh, public land. And, um, we decided that we'd start working with the, uh, with, with the game and fish department in regards to the plots program, because there was a lot of landowners that, ah, you know, I don't know if that's really enough that I really want to open it up. And they reached out to us and said, well, would you help out this and throw an additional amount on top per acre so we can get this property because it's lined up against some public land or, or it's just awesome, awesome wildlife habitat. And so that's how we kind of got started into it. Around 2012 and 13, again, um, we, we started working a little bit further with the landowners, but 
I think we're going on to a break here, so I can talk about that after that. So, you are right. We actually are up against our next stop time to hear to, from our supporters. But, but yeah, that that segues nicely into the the conservation part of what you're doing with these private landowners. So, when we come back, I want to hear a little bit more about how MDF has gotten more involved and uh, and and some of the opportunities that have been developed in North Dakota because of this. So, I'm going to take a break, and we'll be back in a minute. For three generations and over 75 years, Weatherby has remained dedicated to excellence and innovation in producing quality rifles, shotguns, and ammunition. With 15 cartridges and unmatched ballistic superiority, know that nothing shoots flatter, hits harder, or is more accurate. Carry a Weatherby on your hunt of a lifetime and know you can depend on it to get the job done. At Weatherby, we exist to do one thing, inspire the dreams of hunters and shooters. To learn more, visit weatherby.com. The best hunting stories begin long before the harvest. They begin with the hard work of conservation groups like the Mule Deer Foundation, working tirelessly to protect our hunting traditions. As a proud partner of MDF, Vortex Optics is dedicated to improving your experience in the field by offering you rugged, innovative optics and apparel backed by our VIP warranty, our unlimited lifetime promise to take care of you whenever you need us. Together, let's ensure Mule Deer always have a place to roam. The best hunting stories are yet to be told. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. All right, we're back. Marshall, you were just telling us about the PLOTS program in North Dakota, and that is a similar type of program in a lot of states. There's uh, there's walk-in areas uh, in, in other states where there's a lot of private lands. But in North Dakota, MDF has actively engaged in the process, both of helping to create access and, and create some of these partnerships and also doing some of the habitat or, um, or fence removal projects. I know that's a big fact of one of the big projects. So tell us a little bit more about what you've been doing there in North Dakota with these landowners. Yeah. So one of the things that we did is, you know, there's always the, the monetary aspect, you know, of, of per acre. Um, well, Marshall, you went out and raised a big grant for this, right? Right, right. I was going to get to that, <laughs> but no, you okay. can okay. just take well, over. Well, we don't want like you to sell yourself short. We know, we know how modest you can be. Yeah. So, um, so uh, basically, we found it, it kind of fell into our lap one time. I think it was at the Shade Ranch out south of Medora, about 20 miles. And he was waffling about uh, continuing with the, with the plots program. And he had been running four years at a time. And we asked him, we went out and visited with him, trying to get him to stay within the plots program and asked him what his concerns were. Well, he started talking about his habitat, what he needed to do to improve it and so forth. And so that's kind of where we kind of fell into it. We said, well, what if we help you monetarily complete that habitat work, you know, do a 50-50, that type of thing, have a, have a partnership in it. And if we do that, would you commit to continue with it? And maybe instead of three, four years, why don't we go to seven years? And he jumped on it uh, so we could do some work out there. So we saw this happening. Well, about 2014 or so, um, the, uh, the state here developed a program called the Outdoor Heritage Fund, where they basically took a percent of the royalties from oil and put it into a conservation fund or a heritage fund that could be utilized for conservation work, putting in boat ramps, you know, public access things, that all kinds of different things. And you had to apply for it. And so we went in our first time, we got denied. But the second time we went in, we went in with uh, uh, our thing called Western, uh, Western North Dakota Initiative, uh, dealing specifically with private landowners. Um, and fortunately, where mule deer are, that is where the Bakken is or, or where the oil work's being done. So it really 
caught their attention that we are going to be working with landowners out there uh, that are dealing with the oil industry and stuff out there. Um, and so we were fortunate enough to be granted $480,000. Um, and it's basically, it's a, it's a cost share or match we had to do with them. And we got really excited. Our first event, our first big one that just kind of really started everything uh, was with the uh, Richard Ranch, North of uh, Beach, North Dakota. Uh, Byron Richard purchased this land. It was about 20, 21,000 acres of land um, that had three square miles of uh, uh, state land in there that was inaccessible. And he got there and it had been being leased for about 20 years. Uh, they had a Beaver Creek going through there, but it had been beat up pretty bad. Uh, overgrazed, the riparian area was just trash. And he contacted the Game and Fish Department and said, what can I do? Can you guys help me in any way, fashion? How can I get this land back the way, way it is? They instructed him to say, you need to go talk to the Mule Deer Foundation as they just got this big grant and this is what they want to do. And so we started visiting with Byron and we saw this huge project. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just giant. This is the thing you dream of, you know, as a regional director. And, you know, it's a huge landscape project. And so we reached out to Pheasants Forever, Wild Turkey, and Rocky Mountain Elk to see if they wanted to join forces in this as well. And so we laid out a plan uh, with Byron, and it was a three-year three habitat work that was going to be done. Everything from grazing to pipeline to wells, because he had to keep the cattle out of that riparian area, and it's pretty arid out there. Um, fencing, tearing down, there's a lot of dilapidated old fence. Um, as you know, with wildlife, walking, you know, get tangled in it, get caught in it. Um, as well as his cattle. And so we had fencing, we had pipeline, um, we helped shore up a, a, a dam, um, we worked on a parking area. So basically what happened here is we got this guy to commit to a 10-year plots agreement, which is the largest plots agreement that North Dakota has ever signed in its history. Wow. Um, and it was also the largest acreage, 21,000 acres. They'd never had that one that large either. And so over that course of time and utilizing the Outdoor Heritage Fund, we've probably dropped, I think it was probably about $250,000 into that property. Now remember, this is also a cost share. You know, so Byron's also got skin in the game as well. And um, I mean, the neat thing about his property, he had elk, turkey, mule deer, whitetail, pheasant, sharp tails. I mean, he had everything. I mean, it was just a dream. And it's just done phenomenal because of, like he expressed to us, we're sitting out there, we had a big volunteer work day, we're out there pulling fence and we'd come down by the ranch house there, have a big bonfire and his family would be out there cooking and stuff and we'd bark at the moon and have a few drinks. And <laughs> that scares me he, a little uh, bit, Marshall. He told us. I, I do believe that part, Jody, yeah. having a few drinks. But the second, but I think it was the second year, he, he looked at it, he goes, you know, Marshall, he says, um, what you guys have done, your conservation groups have done for me. I could have never done to this property in 15 years. Well, and, and that's, uh, that's that. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and, and the important thing to, to recognize is this is, this is work on private land. 
but it's clearly benefiting the wildlife populations around. Because of the plots agreement, uh, hunters and other recreationals can get out there and enjoy the property. And, and it's, it's an all around win-win-win opportunity to do these types of projects. So we have to take another break to hear from our supporters. But when we come back, I uh, want to tie this all a little bit together and, and, and talk a little bit more about, because I know, Sam, you got out there and, and saw some of these projects on the ground and in action. Uh, and then let's, you know, let's kind of get involved in a little bit of the, the forecast for mule deer and a few other things that we can talk about to, uh, to talk about where we're going from here. So we'll be right back. For the cold, heat, and rough terrain, Zeiss Optics are built to meet the wilderness and the elements up close. And mule deer hunters are going to love what they see. Zeiss has redesigned its entire product line and now includes lightweight precision rifle scopes, binoculars, rangefinders, and spotting scopes that the Western hunter demands. The industry-leading V4 scopes feature 14 new reticle options and scope configurations, while the V6 premium rifle scopes with shot FL glass lead the market in optics and repeatability. The Victory RF rangefinding binocular is the ultimate tool for glassing and ranging, while the Gavia 85 is the leader in premium packable lightweight spotting scopes. Zeiss Optics, delivering peak performance in even the most demanding conditions. All right, before the break, Marshall, you were telling us uh, telling us the history of the projects on the Richard Ranch, and I know you, there's been some more that have gone on um, over time. And uh, so, so continue the the story a little bit about where this has gone, um, some of the projects that you because I also know you've you've brought in some some companies to help um, through when we talk about some of the grants and the conservation projects that we work on, um, and you mentioned the match for the uh, the outdoor heritage grant. There, almost all of these grant opportunities that MDF is involved in require some form of match. And, and that can be dollars, uh, but it can also be in-kind, what is referred to as in-kind, which is basically boots on the ground or donations from another company for use of their equipment. So tell us how you cobble together the match and the, uh, the engagement from both your chapters and some of the local community and business community in the area. Yeah, it started out with my volunteers. Um, as I'm describing this project to them, I'm going around during our meetings and stuff because uh, all the development and thought is taking place in November, December. And so I'm meeting with my chapters just to plan their banquets and such. And I start expressing why we're here. This is what we're doing. This is an opportunity for us. Well, my Fargo chapter is built mainly, the volunteers are from a company called, you know, it's a little company called little. Bobcat. Bobcat <laughs> Dusan. Yeah, it's a little company. Bobcat Dusan. And these guys that I have on our committee, uh, Brady is our chapter chair out there. I mean, they are just passionate and devoted to conservation and hunting. They go out hunting West all the time in Western North Dakota. And um, I started talking about this project. And I'm going, like, God, we're going to have to rent some equipment. And, you know, this is a big deal. And he goes, you know what? He says, uh, Bobcat and Dusan, we would love to be involved in something like this. And so we started talking about it and what needs we would have unbelievable that first year they trucked from bismarck mandan two semi loads of equipment over 200 miles dropped it off with gas extra hydraulic fluid let us use that equipment and then they came back out a week later and picked it all up on their dime and they did that knowing marshall was (laughs) the only caveat was don't let marshall drive (laughs) 
Well, I drove the. Well, I've over. seen those pictures, Marshall, of, of all the fish um, you've rolled. It's pretty impressive. It, so, it was know, amazing um, how much they've done for us. Now we have done several projects since then on different properties, and every time Bobcat and Dusan have donated equipment. And in one case, we even had an operator come out and work that dam that I talked about with the extended track hole. That takes some skill. Um, with regards to doing, we started doing this here. And Ron Ness, who's the president of the North Dakota Petroleum Council, uh, he's been a huge supporter of the Mule Deer Foundation, and we've worked very well together out there in the in the oil patch area. Um, we support them on a couple of their events with our youth trailer. Um, they come back, they support us with uh, influence and cash and stuff and help get people to our banquets. Well, he saw what Bobcat was doing, and he's like, we would like to do that. We got companies out there would love to give back and, and help out. And so uh, three years, two years ago, two or three years ago, we started our first industry day. And basically, we brought in uh, uh, businesses in the industry, bringing in their heavy equipment, bringing their uh, people in and everything. So here now you got people that um, are skilled when it comes to using the Bobcat or any of that type of equipment, excavation equipment and so forth. Um, it, it was amazing. Uh, and they would reach out and get these other people that had skills of pulling fence as well and and we could pull five miles of of bad sheep woven fence we could pull five miles wow. in a day i mean that's just phenomenal yeah that's fast a lot we could pull that and so we have done a couple of those and last year in a 10-day period i got contacted by the game and fish department up in williston i'd i'd stopped in there to visit with them and and uh i said anything we can do we're looking for projects for this coming up year this was in 2019 uh, or 2020, excuse me. And they said, well, we do need some help. We have done, we have a wildlife management area at the confluence of the Yellowstone and the Missouri River. And as you know, over every year it floods and we get all kinds of big logs and other refuse and crap in there. So it's too big and heavy for us and we need to clear it out. We want to do a burn in there, but we obviously can't do a burn because it's going to smolder all year long. And all we have is one bobcat. And I said, well, let me, let me make a call. And so I contacted um, the North Dakota Petroleum Council, uh, talked with Tessa. She sent out a blanket email, gave them my number. Within three to four days, I had six companies donating heavy equipment and donating their personnel to run this equipment. And we got down there. We had two side dumpers. We had a huge, I don't know what... I don't know. I can't remember the terminology. He's got the big grappler and comes down and picks up these giant logs, puts it into the wow. side dumper. We have probably 10 bobcats, the biggest bobcats I have ever seen in my life. I didn't know they made them that big and or skid steers, I should say. And I told him, it's just, yeah, we're just going to work one day, clear that area out. And that's based upon what the biologist thought we'd only be able to do. He was blown away how much we were able to accomplish in one day. And in fact, one company, um, a map out of Beulah, North Dakota, uh, Kurt Swanson's team, they stayed there for two additional days. They couldn't stand to leave because it wasn't. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Yeah. Well, it is oh, a pretty yeah. historic site. From, it is. Uh, well, the, the excitement that we have right now with uh, industry, the excitement that we have with our volunteers, we get on the ground, we do these things, and we get out and we meet these public, these private landowners, and they see this support and the passion and there's a lot of education going on between the two groups and it it really 
strengthens that bond and strengthens Absolutely. the public. Now, Sam, you're a North Dakotan. Had you, before before your connection with Mule Deer Foundation and Brian, were you aware of some of these things going on? And, and then you did get connected, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was aware of yep. the PLOTS program. Uh, and actually, a few years ago now, I had a buddy who uh, helped start restart the Fargo chapter of the Mule Deer Foundation. Uh, and so I had, I had actually spent time on the PLOTS lands and hunted PLOTS lands, whether it be for Upland, game or mule deer or whatever i had had spent time on it but i didn't know how deep it all went and like just then connecting with marshall and going out like kind of part of this conservation crossing project was to try to shed a lot of light on each organization and about all the things that they're doing and so i drove west and met up with marshall and bismarck and then we drove down to the paul ranch and i got to see firsthand a lot of the conservation work they're doing so not only are these lands open for everyone to go use but the amount of habitat restoration that's happening is unbelievable. And then talking to Daniel Paul, the owner of that ranch, and and how thankful he was for the Mule Deer Foundation and all of the things that he was able to do kind of kind of to help his vision of this landscape and his vision of the ranch and how it needed to be run. Like the fact that Mule Deer Foundation is stepping up to do these things, it was really cool to watch. And just the amount of woven wire fence that had been pulled and the amount of like, you know, wildlife friendly fencing that had been put in. Like it, it was unbelievable on this, you know, giant ranch out in Western North Dakota. And just to, you know, Marsha was explaining, oh, this is what this looked like, you know, just a couple of years ago and how much that has changed in a short period of time from all of those volunteer hours. Uh, it's pretty, pretty incredible work. So, uh, you know, proud, to, proud and, and thankful that I was able to go put, you know, boots on the ground and really see that firsthand and shoot some photos of it and just see everything that, you know, the Mueller Foundation is up to. You know what Medora is famous for? Right, atomic bison turds. What's that? Yeah, <laughs> uh, so Medora is where uh, President Roosevelt went, spent his time at Dakotas, and had the two ranches there. And actually, in, in some places, they call it the birthplace of conservation because that's really where right. you know he came out of the deep depression of losing his wife and mother on the same day, uh, got to go experience the Wild West before it was tamed, and really carried that with him back to his later roles in life. So, you know, the Iron Cross Ranch, the TR Memorial Park, all that other stuff is right there. And it's, I really like hearing this because, you know, these things mean a lot to us in conservation. So to see that conservation is still happening where all those many years ago, it was, you know, it it wasn't formal yet. It was, you know, the true wild west. and, And we've taken that to where we are now is really exciting. We've got to take another break, our final one. When we come back from the great break, um, we want to hear about, you know, uh, what you guys are excited about and how we can help, you know, get folks more interested in that and, uh, you know, talk about what the future holds. So we will catch you on the other side of the break. Elk, sheep, big old muleys, not a problem for the 27 Nosler. We packed it with more downrange punch than the 300 Win Mag. We designed it to be flatter shooting than the 6.5 PRC. The 27 Nosler is everything you've heard, all that you've asked for, and plenty more. So enough talking. Check out the numbers for yourself and see what makes the 27 Nosler such a beast at Nosler.com. Welcome back from the break. Um, before we left, we were hearing about, uh, you know, the birthplace of conservation and all the great work that that Marshall and his partners are doing there in, in near Medora and in, in Western North Dakota. 
Um, one of the things we want to move into now is, you know, what's on the horizon? Um, Marshall, I know that, that you're working to expand the reach of the Mule Deer Foundation actually outside of the Mule Deer Range. Tell us a little bit about that and, and how you see that going. Well, you know, living uh, many years in Montana and just traveling around North Coast, South Dakota, when you're out hunting or just driving around, you see plates from Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, you know, all over the place. These people come out to enjoy uh, Western United States for mule deer hunting, for elk, for antelope and pheasant and so forth. And I'm like, why stop there? I mean, we have a lot of mule deer hunters that are out of Fargo. We have, you know, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. There's no mule deer around there but there's a lot that do travel this way. And so we started reaching out. I mean, uh, for instance, the Fargo chapter, um, I actually, as a volunteer, helped start that chapter when I lived in Fargo. We called ourselves a 300-mile club because you had to drive 300 miles to to get (laughs) hunting. Um, But with that being said, um, I've started some chapters in Minnesota now, um, eastern North Dakota, eastern South Dakota. uh, Started a chapter in Pennsylvania. I'm working with a guy up in New York. Um, a guy in Ohio and Indiana and Northern Kentucky. And the whole core part of it is every one of them, they like to hunt out West. Some of them have never even hunted out West yet. They have a dream. But the other thing is they love the conservation element. They want to protect the West. They want to keep it the same. They've seen what's happened where they are. Uh, it's a lot different, but they see the, 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 the shows. They have friends I've gone out there or they may have gone out on a vacation. They want to protect the West. They want to ensure that there's mule deer and elk and so forth. Well, a lot of them just want to make sure that when they take that once in a lifetime trip, they're going to have a good experience and an opportunity mm-hmm. to try to harvest what, whatever their objective is, whether that's a big buck or that's meat in the freezer or whether it's just having a really good time and, you know, well, and those, big sky I, you know, my, my, I grew up back East also in my family. Uh, I remember as a kid, my great uncle and my grandfather and a bunch of their friends went to Eastern Montana to go mule deer hunting and every building and and making sure we have stable wildlife herds, making sure that the mule deer have the opportunity to grow big. That's also money into these small communities because those folks that are traveling in, they have to stay somewhere. They're, they're, they're buying food in the local, uh, the local restaurants. So, so it's, it, it is, a, it all comes around. Um, you know, it, it, I know we get a little frustrated with people coming into the West now, but at the same time, there is a whole <laughs> lot of opportunity and, and, and this is what draws us to these wild places, these big open spaces. So, so I, I, I see it as a continuum of, of conservation and, and opportunity for everybody who's interested in seeing the, the big open spaces of the West. So tell us a little bit more now connecting to the conservation um, work that you're doing, Sam. What do you see on the horizon and some of the work that you've got coming up? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the way we approach like our whole mission behind public land tees is just to always, you know, find new, new ways to give back to all these organizations. And I think it's important for people listening to understand that it, regardless of what species that you're passionate about, you know, whether it be pheasants or ducks or mule deer or elk or whatever, (laughs) or all of the above, (laughs) regardless of which organization you support, all of the all of the money that goes into those things helps all species. So you know it's the the old analogy: a high tide lifts all ships, kind of thing. So the more the more people that we can get involved in more organizations, the more money we're going to have to fund all of these projects. So it might be pheasants forever is planting grass and you know creating a habitat, but that's also going to help 
uh, you know, the mule deer and it's going to help the turkey and it's going to help waterfowl and it's going to help all of these different species. And I think that's really the approach that we need to, like we as a company at Public Land Tees need to take and help educate people about how important that is, that it doesn't matter which direction you're going, it's going to help everybody else. Um, and, you know, more specifically on the mule deer side of things, like I'm, I'm curious to hear from you guys, because like all things, it's cyclical and mule deer really like to be left alone. So as, you know, habitat gets taken away and as urban development grows and as all, you know, like as humans progress within the United States and North America, uh, I'm curious to see like, what's your outlook on, on where the mule deer is going and, and what can we do, you know, as individuals to help protect that going forward, um, knowing that we are an invasive species <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I'll jump in. Um, you can't go wrong with habitat work. It all starts with what the animals need to survive, where they're located, um, whether it's a migration corridor or a winter range, whether they're crossing fences, whether they're having uh, plants to eat, uh, good water to have access to, really investing in habitat, you cannot go wrong. Because if you have habitat that's functioning the way it should, and we have enough of it, nature can be pretty resilient and durable. We can withstand fires. We can withstand droughts. Individuals may come and go, and populations will fluctuate. But they'll always come back if the habitat's there. And, you know, so investment in habitat and focus in habitat is really where the Mule Deer Foundation is putting a lot of our focus and priorities. And, you know, when we talk about habitat, and Jody and I were having this conversation the other day for an upcoming issue of the magazine, what do we mean right now? Well, we mean uh, thinning forests, forest health issues, thinning forests so that uh, the, the, the latter fuels and the fine fuels don't cause catastrophic stand-replacing wildfires. They burn the way they should be burning. But all that things also being equal, um, forage. It's for our browse species, yep. right? Create it opens sunlight to the ground. Plants grow. You know, doesn't outcompete the shrubs. Which you know, let's not forget, mule deer are browsers. You know, they eat shrubs and woody woody plants. Um, whether it's restoration after a wildfire, you know, we have a very large restoration shrub restoration project in Idaho, where we're planting hundreds of thousands of plants. And knowing that most of them won't survive, it's sort of like, you know, uh, a baseball analogy. If you're batting 300, you're doing really good. So you have to put quite a few plants out on the landscape to know that that 30% is going to survive. Um, going into where Marshall's at and, you know, planting trees, tree breaks, you know, so that the soil doesn't blow away, making sure it's the right tree. It's not Russian olive. It's not some of these things that really become invasive and, and actually change the habitat. It's going into juniper systems, not just to kill juniper for grass, but removing that juniper from where it's invading like sagebrush landscapes. And so juniper is an alleliopathic plant, meaning that <laughs> <laughs> alleliopathic. It basically, because of its needle drop, changes the environment around it and allows only other juniper and plants that can withstand the micro uh, environment that it's created. So grasses, other shrubs, other forbs don't really grow there. So you, you, you set that back. And there's a lot of controversy over that in the Western towards the coast about, you know, juniper's native, you're killing, you're hurting other species. And that's not the approach that the Mule Deer Foundation takes. What we take is what should be there 
given what we know about the ecological site and what was there and what we need to be there for a myriad of species with a focus on big game and go after those smaller plants, you know, those places where you can see the invasion, you can see a single clump of, of juniper invading a sagebrush areas where we have documented declines from uh, habitat monitoring and population monitoring. And then, you know, really a couple other things that are important are access. Um, if we don't use these areas, people aren't going to love these areas. They're not going to support these areas. Working with our partners, being a collaborative, rather than us being competition against all the groups out there, working with them, bringing tribes, bringing uh, state agencies, bringing private landowners, bringing industry together, as Marshall said. You know, those are areas that are really important. They're they're high on the list. And every one of the things I've talked about, there's a role that an individual can play either through their job, through their participation and membership to all the organizations, particularly the Mule Deer Foundation, and through their sweat equity or their wallet equity. You know, join a, join our group. Come on a project. Come speak to a local school about the importance of mule deer and habitat and everything. We can provide that information. Get involved. And I don't care where you live. I don't care which group you support. Hopefully that's a mule deer foundation. But as long as you're doing some of that stuff, the future's bright. And, you know, we want to paint doom and gloom all the time. And there there was a period that mule deer were not doing well. Mm-hmm. We, we, we covered this last year with Jim Heffelfinger and Miles Moretti. We, we, we thankfully don't say that everywhere now. There are places mule deer are not doing very well, but there are places that they're doing quite well. Um, and if we can sustain that and help rebuild them, I think the future is bright. The, the interest in mule deer right now is super high. From a hunting standpoint, it's really high. The demand out there exceeds the, the, the supply by a lot. And that's the tag allocation and the number of people we see out there. And I think if we can just get folks to understand the little part that they can do and that you have to think about this year round you don't have to do what we do to play your part you can be and i helpful. think that's important so yeah that's my rant <laughs> that's his soapbox but it's true uh, membership to a group like mule deer foundation your membership or donation dollars your participation at a banquet um the opportunity to come and do the sweat equity those are all the in-kind our habitat projects have increased substantially through a lot of big grants that Steve has largely been responsible for. And and I think that it's an amazing upswing of number of habitat acres treated, but but the individual absolutely can get involved. Um, if not with just finances, then then getting their hands dirty on a project. We are probably over where we look normally like to be. Oh but my just gosh, one last thing, Jody, something I is it's been a really yes. tough 14 months because of COVID. A lot of organizations don't exist anymore. MDF experienced our pains, but in 2021 alone, we're bringing over 2.1 new dollars to conservation with the majority of that being habitat work in a bad year. And that tells how hard our people work, the interest in working with us, and also the belief that we go out and are effective with that. So, this is uh, the time that I open it up to our guests to to have some closing thoughts. We just gave ours, um, but I would love to hear Sam Marshall wrap us up. Tell us if there was something you didn't get a chance to talk about or some other great thing that came to mind as we were talking. Love to hear your closing thoughts. 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's coming out of a year of a pandemic. And I think the cool thing was watching, you know, thousands and thousands of new people take, go, either take to the woods or take back to the woods, you know, as, as time opened up, uh, people went back to hunting and fishing and outdoor recreation. And I think that is a giant opportunity for not only the New Leader Foundation, but for everybody involved in conservation. Um, so coming off of, you know, a very hard year of fundraising, I think that uh, there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity for us to educate people that, are, that have gotten back into it and uh, participate more uh, going forward. So, um, you know, on our end, if anybody is, is looking at, um, you know, joining and, and wanting to help become a member of five organizations at one time, just head over to publiclandtees.com, pick up a Conservation Crossing shirt. It's a pretty great start into the world of uh, helping fund critical, you know, fundraising dollars that we need to uh, support and, all of these organizations. And remember that when they're gone, they're gone. So so do it now. I'm going to do it right after we get off the Yeah, and, and Sam, I hope that bus isn't up in Alaska because they just got the last one out of there. So, you know. <laughs> no, it's not in Alaska. And I don't plan on driving it all the way up there. You couldn't right now because I don't think you can cross the border in Canada, but <laughs> no, you sure can. Marshall, how about you? Well, I think just uh, I, I'm asking hunters, sportsmen and women um, to take a look at what they've been doing, um, you know, where they've been hunting. It could be private land, it could be public land or whatever it is. But if you haven't given back to what you've enjoyed, it's time to start thinking about that. And we can't wait for other people to do it. Um, so it's, it's a great way to introduce your children, your teenagers and such, to giving back to something they're going to enjoy for generations. And so I've, I've always expressed that, you know, help us start a chapter, be a volunteer, give what time you have. We're not asking, you know, for all of your time, we're, whatever you can give to us. Um, and then when it comes to these boots on the ground projects, it's a great opportunity. We've had several more people have brought their teenagers out um, to get involved. And, and it's just they see something so much bigger. And then whenever they drive by that area, they, they're, they're so proud of what they did. They can look at it and say, I helped with that. I, I did that. Um, and it instills in them at a younger age so that as, they're, as they move through life, they're giving back continually on there. Um, so that, that's what I'm asking for our support. We've got to wrap up the show because, uh, Marshall, I know you got to get going. So um, we've heard some final thoughts. You know, we really appreciate you all being here with us today. Sam, we really love what you're doing. Marshall, keep up the great work. You know, just uh, I think you guys really epitomize the type of folks that uh, are out there working on conservation issues, particularly with the Mule Deer Foundation. And all I can say is keep it up. Yeah, thanks, guys. We really appreciate your time today. Um, for you, all our listeners, follow us on social media and, and give us some reviews. Give us some uh, questions or feedback about our podcast. We love to hear you hear your voice and your thoughts about Talking Mule Deer. And, and thank you for listening. Let people know about becoming members of Mule Deer Foundation. Get out on publiclandtees.com and get your uh, Conservation Crossings t-shirt. Thanks, guys, for your time. Until next time, this is Jody Stemmler. And I'm Steve Belinda, and thank you for talking Mule Deer. Thanks for talking Mule Deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. 
MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talkin' Mule Deer.